Hey baddies, welcome to Bad Witch Podcast, the podcast where we are going to get our witch shit together one spell at a time. So silly me, <laughs> I'm still really trying to force fall, right? And I, that means I'm eating a lot of soup. Like I love to make homemade soups, even though I'm not a kitchen witch. I feel like I'm still putting some magic in there. I love making homemade soups. And so I made chicken tortilla soup and I was like, oh, it's going to be so bomb. And I'm going to record and not <laughs> taking into account at all that number one, it's temperature hot. Number two, it's spice hot. Literally was like sprinkling chili powder into that thing. Like my life depended on it. So I'm like so sniffly now. <laughs> even more sniffly than usual, if you can even imagine it. I don't know why I didn't stop to think, oh, maybe don't make a spicy soup right before you have to record. But here we are. We're not perfect witches. We're bad witches. <laughs> so first and foremost, I want to say I am so proud of everyone that got their manifestation box together. I saw the gorgeous pictures you posted in the Facebook group. I hope I commented on everyone's. If I did it and you want me to see it, please tag me. Just the boxes are amazing. The candles are so beautiful. You, I, whenever I'm talking, I'm like, does this make sense? <laughs> but I'm so glad that the way I was describing the setup, you were able to interpret what I was saying, you know, pretty clearly. And it just looks, I mean, every picture I saw this is like, this is what I was picturing in my mind. This is what mine looks like. So I'm so proud of all of you. If you haven't gotten it done yet, or this is your first episode and you're like, what? <laughs> Go back to the Be Crystal Clear episode. And um, also last week's episode, which is a guide to recognizing your goddesses part three. And there is the whole breakdown of manifestation boxes. It's the Samhain challenge that we're doing. So we're just trying to get our manifestation juices flowing. I don't know why I said that. I always hate when I talk about juices and yet here we are. Sorry. <laughs> but basically it's just an exercise for Samhain when the veil is thinning and our powers are really coming into full force. Unless you're in the summer Southern hemisphere my Australian Ostara girls. Hey, I know we're so Samhain focused. Um, but you know, Astara showed up last week and as it was pointed out in the Facebook group, I'm pretty sure that was a shout out to y'all. So sorry, we're so sad and heavy right now, but that's just what we're headed into. Although I will be in Australia right up until Samhain. So I will be, maybe next week I'll do an Astara episode instead because I'll be flipping around. Anyway, um, so if you're just joining us, it's just a challenge to, see what we can manifest for ourselves to take a chance to not be too afraid to just ask for what we really, really want in life. And, you know, to meditate, to practice meditation, because meditation is incredibly hard, as we've said on this podcast 10,000 times. And I'll never stop saying it because even though I've been doing it for a long time now, it's hard. Like It really is something that definitely gets easier, but it is hard to start. It is hard to find the time to do it. It is hard to make yourself want to do it a lot of the time. So that's why we're doing this challenge, not only to see what we can do with our manifesting, but how we can develop our skill of meditation. And so, yes, I am so proud of all of you. They look incredible. I know a couple people posted being like, oh, I'm starting to see my manifestations come true already. That's so amazing. And um, let me say these two things. One, if you have not started yet, if you are like, listen, I just, I can't get my together until the 15th, that is okay. It's okay. No, there, nowhere is it written, even though we're doing a 30 day challenge, quote unquote, nowhere is it written that you have to do a full 30 days or your magic won't work and you will never manifest anything. You know, absolutely not. If you are like, listen, I've had, I've had stuff going on or I just started listening a couple of weeks ago and I'm catching up now. You got time. Okay. It's barely October. It's October 7th right now when I'm recording. You'll get this on the 9th. We're only 10 days in just 
Because to me, it's like, it means more that you do it right and you have the time to set your attention and to think about it and put your energy into it than you rush it because you feel like there's a deadline. I am not a deadline-based person. <laughs> Maybe should have thought about before I started recording, uh, before I started a podcast. Uh, deadlines are not easy for me. So I'm not, I'm definitely cutting you some slack. If you feel like you need a little more time, that is your witch journey and that is totally fine. And also if, you bent the rules a little bit, like you wanted to manifest, you know, two or three things, or you wanted to focus on a couple of different areas, or you really were like, you know, there's small things that I would like to manifest and accomplish first before I get to my big picture ideal and my big dream. That is totally cool too. Like it's a challenge. Yeah. It's not, you know, set in stone. It is up for interpretation. It is up for your individualism. Trust me, I will, is individualism a word? <laughs> Individuality? <laughs> what we're going to be talking about today and like the figures that we're going to be focusing on for a bit, um, especially one of them is all about individuality. So I would absolutely never try to strip that away from you. I have been wrong. <laughs> I will be wrong. I am not the definitive witch in existence and you have to do it according to me. I am not the supreme, you know, I am just doing my witchy best and I know you're all doing your witchy best. So yeah, if you haven't started yet, if you had to fudge it a little bit to make it contour to you and if you have started, I'm just proud of whatever stage you're in because I know it's not easy to just commit to something, especially something that's like 30 days. I mean, it sounds kind of it sounds kind of silly to be like, it's so hard to do something for 30 days, but it's so hard to do something for 30 days. <laughs> like it really is. How many times have you thought, okay, I'm going to work out every day for 30 days. I'm going to drink a gallon of water every day for 30 days. And you're like so gung ho about it. And then you get to day four and you're like, man, it's like, I don't know. It's a lot of water and like, it's really hot outside. <laughs> you know. So whatever stage you're in, even if you've just been giving it a lot of thought and that that's where you are right now. I'm proud of you. You're doing an amazing job. I'm really excited to be doing the challenge with you. Like I could not ask for a better coven and y'all are all killing it. And you make your mama witch, your auntie witch, your sister witch. So proud. Okay. So speaking of Sydney <laughs> or Australia, you know, last week I was saying I have this big trip coming up and I'll be uh, flying around. <laughs> Sorry. I just got an image of myself like getting on my broom and flying to Australia. I'm too deep into this Halloween thing. Like I truly am. But yeah, I will be leaving next week and going to Bali. And then I will be going to Sydney, Australia for there's my first one, Australia. So Sydney baddies, give me a shout. I would love to meet up with some of you. Bali, Bali's, Bali, Bali baddies. <laughs> if any of you are in Bali traveling or you live there, I would love to meet up with you. And then I will be going to Los Angeles after that. So I'll be traveling around a lot. If I am a little MIA, I'm, listen, I'm already behind on emails. I'll tell you all right now. I'm going to try to catch up tonight. Um, but it's been busy going from one trip to another. And uh, yeah, so I'll be in LA Halloween weekend, even though Mercury is going retrograde. <laughs> we're just going to ignore that part. So LA baddies too. If y'all would like to do like a meetup and get something going, please let me know. I would love, 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 love to meet all of you. And let's cast spells and dance naked in the moonlight and eat cookies shaped like ghosts. And I don't know, get drunk out of a cauldron. Let's just have an amazing time. So yeah, if you're any of those places, let's meet up in the next couple of weeks. And, um, also just to me some good vibes y'all. Cause you know, it's, it's overwhelming and bad, which is obviously my priority. So I'm going to try to record, um, four episodes this week. <laughs> 
<laughs> we will see how that goes. <laughs> but anyway, knowing that I'm going on these trips and I have like 15 hour flights and eight hour, nine hour flights multiple times, I was thinking about what movies I should watch. And then I was like, you know what? We should do like a Bad Witch movie club. I think that'd be really fun. Also, we should do a Bad Witch book club, but I'm going to have to get suggestions from y'all because you're much more voracious readers than I am. So I will go to the Facebook group for that or send me some, some suggestions and I'll compile a list. But over the summer, I was kind of on this personal mission to watch more movies because I don't go to movie theaters like I've shared with y'all. And movies have... I've just never been the kind of person to be like, oh, I'm going to pop in a movie, <laughs> unless it's The Craft or Hocus Pocus. I, that's a huge blind spot for me. And being that I'm so into pop culture, I feel like yeah, I need to educate myself, basically. So I was like, I'm going to watch a movie every night. And I watched um, X-Men Days of Future Past and X-Men Apocalypse, which I saw in theaters. Those are like the two times I've been able to get myself to go because I'm such a massive X-Men fan. And so I watched those, even though I've seen them 10 times each. And I watched Paddington 2. And that's where I stopped. And maybe that was like a subconscious choice because I was like, no movie will ever be better than this. I'm not kidding. I'm not being funny right now. Paddington 2 is the greatest movie I've ever seen. Granted, I haven't seen that many, but I laughed. I cried. My heart grew three sizes. It is gorgeous and stunning and delightful and just the most pleasant experience I've ever had. And I would highly, highly recommend it. In fact, <laughs> since summer, I've been trying to come up with a way to like slide it into the podcast <laughs> to be a recommendation, but I couldn't think of a witchy angle, which I guess a talking bear is pretty witchy if you think about it. And it is kind of around Christmas time. So the magic of the Christmas holiday spirit, I don't know. I'm just coming up with something, <laughs> but... <laughs> I would recommend it highly. If you have watched it, let's talk about it. I am all about that movie. But yeah, so I was like, let's do a Bad Witch Movie Club because I just haven't seen anything. I think it would be fun. I think it will make me stay on track if we're doing something together. And also it'll be fun to talk about it because I am the kind of person who does stuff like three years too late. And then when I'm ready to talk about it, everyone's like, it's, you missed it, girl. It's over. Like we can't, we don't care about this anymore. So I know like the obvious one. So I, the, the only requirement is that it needs to be um, witch, a witch related movie. So either a movie about witches or movies that have witches in them, which I do think are two separate things. For me, like The Craft is a movie about witches and like Harry Potter, for example, is a movie with witches in it. Or um, Hocus Pocus to me is a movie about witches versus Rosemary's Baby, which has witches in it. Does that make sense? <laughs> like, I think with The Craft and Hocus Pocus, those movies are so about the witches' stories and the witches as individuals, and it really follows them as the protagonist, even if they are, like, kind of the bad characters in certain... Like, Nancy. Like, I'll just say it. Like, Nancy, even though she is the star and the anti-hero in a way, ultimately, you know, Sarah is the one we should be looking towards for the best example but when I think about like Harry Potter or uh, Rosemary's Baby, I don't, I think it's more like in Harry Potter about the magic of it all and about Harry's story. He was a wizard, which, you know, we can go into a whole debate about that. And in Rosemary's Baby, it's about, you know, getting this baby that is the Antichrist. And there is definitely a coven of witches involved. But while I think it's like a key element to the story, I don't find that it is just about witches. So that's the distinction to me. The only reason it even came up is because I was looking at like different lists online, trying to get a bunch of uh, which movies together. 
And of course, I was like, oh yeah, the craft and uh, the witches and witches of Eastwick and, and practical magic. And then I was like, wait, is that a witch movie? <laughs> I never really thought of it that way. But yeah, witches are a huge element in way more of the media than I realized. And so there's some really interesting ones on this list. So I'm just going to go through them really quickly and we can pick which one we want to do first. Um, these are in order by, um, in order? Yeah, they're in order by the year that they came out. So there's no like official ranking to them. So the first one is Bell Book and Candle, which I have never heard of. It's a Kim Novak, Jimmy Stewart movie. And apparently it's about a Manhattan witch who puts a love spell on her neighbor. So he won't marry her insufferable college nemesis, which that sounds great to me, honestly. <laughs> I really think that might be the top of my list if we can find it. Um, then there's Black Sunday, which is a, a little bit of a gore fest from what I'm reading. It's about a witch who comes back from the dead who is just like hell-bent on revenge. So might back pocket that one. Then there's The Blair Witch Project. I will never watch that again. It truly terrified me. And not even just the movie, but the marketing campaign was so genius. I thought those three kids actually went missing and were eaten by a witch. And they put out all these specials beforehand that made it seem like it was like a true story. Like it was on television. They would have on like the History Channel or like Sci-Fi Channel, these documentaries about the Blair Witch and all this found footage. And you thought these kids were really dead. It was the worst. I don't ever want to watch that again. The Craft, obviously. That, I mean, we should just be watching that once a week anyway, right? Um, I was surprised to see this on the list. Eve's Bayou is set in Louisiana. It is absolutely gorgeous. And it really dabbles more in voodoo. So if you're interested in that, that would be a great movie for us to watch. Um, and also The Skeleton Key, which I didn't see on this list. It also really deals with Louisiana voodoo. And when I tell you that was the first time, I was like, oh, break dust? Tell me more. <laughs> so even though it's not official on this list, if y'all want to revisit those, let me know. Also, I'm like, oh, I never watch movies, but apparently if there's a witch in it, I I have seen it. Hocus Pocus, obviously. Um, Kiki's Delivery Service. I didn't know that Kiki is a witch. It's one of those studio, I think it's pronounced Ghibli films. It's a Japanese animation film. So um, I think that might be fun and kind of, you know, easy to digest when maybe we've scared ourselves too much watching the other ones. <laughs> oh, and this one, if I have a say in it and if you all agree with me, I would love to start with The Love Witch. Uh, it came out in 2016, but it has a very, like, faux 1960s Lana Del Rey vibe to it. A lot of blue eyeshadow, which is always a favorite of mine. Um, and I've heard it's really, really good. So if y'all want to start with that, I would like to maybe start there. But again, let me know and we can work it out. And then there's Practical Magic, which I have never seen. <laughs> I'm so ashamed to say I've never seen Practical Magic. So if y'all think that's a good place to start, let me know. I'm all about it. I want to get the references, like the Midnight Margaritas. I mean, they sound great. Oh, and Stalker Channing's in it, isn't she? I love her. Um, and there's Rosemary's Baby, which again, I don't consider a witch movie. I think it's it's much more in a different genre of horror. I did try to watch it when I was very young. I wasn't crazy about it, but, you know, worth a revisit. Um, this one I never know how to pronounce. Suspiria or Suspira. It's, the original is by Dario Argento, I believe, and it's from 1977. And it's about this girl who goes to a ballet school and it turns out it's a cover for witches and a coven and it's like madness from there. Apparently it's supposed to be like visually amazing and they did just remake it. So we could maybe try both and see, you know, compare contrast. Then there's the witch from 2016. This list is obviously not in order by date. Like I thought it was <laughs> what I was thinking. I could have just like looked at the next one and figured that out. Um, the witch. I really, really want to see this, especially because it also relates to what we're going to be talking to over the next couple of weeks. 
But I did read it on Wikipedia, which I do with all horror movies, and I am too scared to watch it, so someone may have to just tell me about it. <laughs> then there's The Witches from 1990. I love The Witches. I, the book's great. The movie's great. I think it's a really good one for kids if you want to just, like, have fun with your kids this month and watch it. Is it too scary for kids? I don't think so. I don't ever remember being scared of it. I was like, oh, Angelica Houston seems fabulous. <laughs> I really like whatever she has going on. Then The Witches of Eastwick, which I also have never seen. So if you want to start there, let me know. I am always down for a share moment. And The Wizard of Oz, which was another one on this list. I was like, is that a witch movie? <laughs> I don't think it is. I think it's fantastic. I think it's fun. I think it's gorgeous to watch. It is Judy Garland just killing it. But I don't, I mean, Glinda and the Wicked Witch, yeah, but I just don't consider it a witch movie. So I might take that out of possible rotation. Ooh, you know what? We should replace that with um, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. I adore that movie. I adore Angela Lansbury. It was her starriest star turn outside of Murder, She Wrote. <laughs> I love it so much. So yeah, no disrespect to Judy Garland. Let's just all go support Judy instead because Renee Selweger is back and, you know, it's it's what we deserve. But yeah, I'm going to say Wizard of Oz is not a witch movie and replace with Bed Knobs and Broomsticks because I'm pretty sure Angela Landry is like a dead-ass witch in that, right? Also, uh, Mary Poppins is a witch movie. I don't know if we ever talked about that, but Mary Poppins is a witch, right? Like, what's what's going on there? She, homegirl's a witch. Let's just be honest about it. So Mary Poppins is also on the list. We can certainly visit that movie as well. But yeah, let me know which one you want to start with. And I think it'll just be oodles of fun to watch something together. And then, you know, get the popcorn out and have a chit chat about it and see how we feel about it and see how it relates to us as real life witches. And, you know, I'm always, I always am kind of interested in the contrast of us as actual witches versus how we are portrayed as witches. Which isn't the always the most favorable going back to the witches. I don't know if you remember the scene where their actual faces get revealed, but it's not flattering. <laughs> it's not great for us. And something else that I think is so interesting I was thinking about today is that we very much see the maiden stage of witchhood where it's, you know, the fresh young girl and she's just entering her powers and what is she going to do and what path is she going to take? And we very, very much see the crone stage and, you know, the old Hagrid witch and gobbling down children like their sweet treats but we don't get a lot of the mother stage I feel and so I would like to especially find media that represents us there or maybe we can create some media that represents us there because we spend the majority of our witch time in that full moon you know it's not so much in the waxy crescent it's not so much in the waning crescent it really is that mother space that we spend so much of our time in and I feel like it does get a little neglected. And maybe it's because when you're young and in the maiden time, it can be something that's presented as being so virtuous and beautiful and fresh. And when you're a crone, it's something that can be scary and uh, intimidating and taunting and, and sinister in a way. But when you're just in like the bloom of your witchness, people are like, I mean, yeah, she's just like a cool woman. And who wants to see movies about that? <laughs> Not Hollywood. <laughs> it's something I've been thinking about a lot today, getting like the movie list together. Or like finding the movie list because I had the brilliant idea that this week we were finally going to get into the Salem witch trials. Now wait, <laughs> just wait, don't get too excited yet. Because I was doing all of this research. I was like, yes, this is time. It's October. We have to talk about it. It's something that really does kind of leave shivers in your spine. And there's all these different theories about it that we can get into. And it is a, a really important important part of our history but <laughs> in doing all of the research I was like okay I can't talk about 
the Salem witch trials without talking about witch hunts and witch trials throughout history before that, because we really do need to have all this whole backstory. And honestly, I can't talk about that before I talk about our witch history. So that's where we're going to start today. We are going to learn a little bit, like, let me say a little bit about our witch history. Obviously, we're going to have to condense this down because we're going to go from the paleo Paleolithic prehistoric times down to the Salem witch trials in the 1600s. So we're going to try to cover it relatively in a like uh, uh, understandable amount of time. But I think it is important to go to the top because even at the very beginning, like we're going to go into the first mention of a witch that I could find. There may be other ones. If you know better than I do, please let me know and I will correct it. But it's really interesting even from there and going from like biblical time to going from the Old Testament, you can see that we were already starting to get the short end of the stick and things are already starting to be blamed on us and being, you know, driven out of society, being outsiders, being cast away, being seen, especially as women, you know, a lot, not saying that all witches are women, obviously, but especially for women, it became, she is an outsider. She is not falling in line. She wants too much freedom. She wants too much individuality. She wants to be sexually free. She wants to make up her mind about things. Or she she can do things that the men can't. And that made you someone that was suspicious and someone that was untrustworthy. And that was very, very, very dangerous in society where all they had was like access to each other. And so that's all they knew. So I think it's really interesting to see it start there and the way that it was able to evolve from, you know, the European, and I, was it just European? Well, no, which we'll talk about too, because witchcraft and witches are, are just in every culture, like any culture that has come together and has any kind of traditions and any kind of, you know, like spoken and oral tradition of histories that have gone into written histories, you will see evidence of witches and witchcraft and magic. It is just so prevalent everywhere. And that's how I know that, I mean, aside from knowing, because I am one, I know this is a real thing. And I know that what has been passed down to us as witches is something that is infinite and is something that is bigger than all of us. But yeah, not just European witch trials, but we're going to go through a good smattering of them and just see how this kept evolving and evolving and evolving and going into like this mass panic and this hysteria that led to tens of thousands of people dying. It's just crazy. And the craziest part of all of it is that the majority of people that were persecuted and executed during these times were not witches, you know? The witch just became a figure of something evil, of something demonic, of something that consorts with the devil, of something that will harm you. You better harm that witch before she harms you. You better expel her before she does any harm to you and your sweet little gentle perfect family. And that's what's so crazy. It's like, you didn't even have to be a witch. Just a, the label of witch was enough to end your life. You know, we will talk about this in the Salem episode, but I remember reading The Crucible. I'm actually considering rereading The Crucible in the next week so I can talk about it in the Salem episode. But oh my God, it was so boring. It was so boring. <laughs> I remember like finally getting to our Salem unit in American literature in 11th grade and being like, yes, it is my time to shine. I have all the answers. I have past life memories. Let's do this. And I was like, is this book for real? <laughs> because I cannot take it. Oh, learning about the, the Puritans was some like personal punishment for one of my past lives. I know that now. But I remember when we were learning about it, it was so much more about the hysteria of it all and about just accusations and personal politics and dramas and enemies within the community than it was about witchcraft. Although witchcraft definitely does play a part and we can certainly get into a debate about how much a part that legitimate and actual witchcraft played in it. And we're, we are so going to talk about Tichuba. I am tired of her being left out of the story. She is 
probably the most important part to me. And if it wasn't for her, okay, I'm not going to get into it right now because I, I want to pay her her due and I want to really get into her. But I was about to start talking about the entire Salem Witch Trials. <laughs> but we have a whole episode for that. But yeah, as much as it was about people that were legitimately witches getting caught doing witchcraft, it was also about these personal politics and it was also about this hysteria. So at one hand, someone might say, oh, well, I saw Goody Good, who is the only character I can remember from the book. I cannot remember anyone else for some reason, but that name really stuck with me. Oh, I saw Goody Good um, flying across the moon or I saw her talking with a cat or I saw her having... I can't remember if I'm making this up or it's in the book, but some kind of like sexual relationship with like demons or like a threesome or something. Would that be in the book? Is that too wild for like Puritan American literature? <laughs> it might be. But, you know, some people were making those accusations because they wanted the accused to be in trouble and they wanted something to happen to them. And some people were making those accusations because they legitimately believed them. And they legitimately thought they saw that happen because with the hysteria and with some of the other things that were going on that we're going to talk about, it's like people could not differentiate from what was actually happening and what wasn't, what was the hallucination and what was real. So it's just this massive thing that has taken place in so many different countries that has affected so many real witches and has affected so many people that were just accused of witchcraft. And we have to go to the beginning to be able to trace through history how these things were able to happen and how it really just unraveled and witches did go from this revered position to this feared position. But before we get into all of that, let's do our Patreon shout outs real quick. And then we are going to do our history witchery deep dive. As always, a very, very extra special thank you to our Patreon baddies. It really does mean so much to me that you'll give like a little bit each month, especially some of y'all have been here like since Patreon started. And I really appreciate that because I know there's a lot of things you can be doing with your donations and that you're supporting Bad Witch. It just, it's so kind and it's so sweet. Thank you so, 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 so much. So thank you to Maria, Crystal, Maya, Aurora, Celine, Kristen, Adam, Brandy, Bren, Kara, Becca, Alicia, Nalling, Heidi, Mackenzie, Stephanie, Ashley, Lena, Vanessa, Sasha, Brett, Tiani, Amber, Courtney, Elizabeth, Carla, Aaron, Shannon, and Amanda. Thank you. Truly from the bottom of my heart. It just, it means so much to me. And it means so much to me that you're all here. I love you so much. I gush about it every week, but I really, really do mean it. I, I love taking this journey with you. I think it is so much fun. So hopefully this next part's fun because we're going to be talking about history a lot. <laughs> now I am a history nerd. I, I was almost going to major in history, but I did English because I mean, who knows why at this point it didn't really matter in the end, <laughs> but I loved getting to research so much. And really taking a second to look into where we come from as witches and where we are first mentioned and how that's evolved. So I hope you enjoyed as much as I do. Let me uh, do my disclaimers now. I am in no way a historian. I'm just going from what I did read. <laughs> but I did do hours and hours and hours. And so hopefully I didn't accidentally read like a satire website or anything. <laughs> but if I get anything wrong, I am happy for corrections. I will be happy to share the corrections. I want us to have the most accurate information. Um, also a trigger warning because we are going to be talking about two witches in particular and um, one in her mythology will will deal with um, infertility and also with um, I don't there's not really a nice way to say it with infants being harmed but I'm not going to give like any detail about it more than saying that part of her mythology is that she would try to kidnap infants that's 
you might even already know who I'm talking about, but just trigger warning, you know, if you're have kids in the car or kids around you, or you're just kind of sensitive to like the infertility thing, I don't want anyone to, to get upset, certainly, you know, by this podcast. So with all that being said, I hope there were no other trigger warnings I meant to give. I think that was it. Uh, if we're coming up with anything else, I'll shout it out real quick. You need to like go ahead, <laughs> but let's start with the origins of witchcraft. I took so many notes for this episode because I was like, oh, that's good. That's good. I need to write that down. I need to remember this. I need to make sure I say it. So usually most of the time I'm going just like free form stream of consciousness as you may have noticed. But this week, if the flow is a little different, it's because I'm referencing my notes. I just don't want to leave anything out because there's a lot of important stuff. So um, I what I might do is read what I wrote and then we'll kind of expound upon it. So first things first. It all starts with magic, baby. I think before we even have a concept of witchcraft and of witches, we have magic. And to me, magic has existed before time itself, before anything we can conceive of. Um, You know, maybe birth with the universe and maybe we'll die with the universe if that ever happens. But it's something that is infinite and transcendent. And it, it would have existed whether we found a way to harness it or not. And I very much believe that like magic found its way to us. And that's why some people naturally carry it and some people don't. Now with witchcraft, again, my belief only, I think that that came with people and practitioners. And so they kind, they aren't interchangeable and they aren't the same thing. There's like magic, there's witchcraft and there's witches. Now the question is, did witchcraft come first and then there were witches or did witches come first and then there were witchcraft? It's a very chicken and the egg situation. It's very fruit orange or color orange. (laughs) You know, which one came first? And I don't know if that necessarily matters as much. It's just that somehow, some way, we found ourselves to the magic. We found ourselves to the rites and to the rituals. And thus, witchcraft and witches were born. And I do, I, I do, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say we found our way to the magic, but the magic found our way to us. Because that's really how I believe that it took place. So, what does witch mean? Where does that word come from? It comes from Wicca, which I think we're very, very familiar with, which means wise. Isn't that beautiful? And then what does witchcraft means? It means the craft of the wise, which is what I was saying before. We have this thing that was revered and beautiful and represented wisdom and especially like the wise women and the wise men. Hello, doesn't that sound familiar? That became this thing to be feared and to be scapegoated and to be stereotyped and, you know, oh, I stubbed my toe. It must be the witch across the street. (laughs) My crops didn't grow. It must be that witch, you know, around the corner that has a problem with me. It's just amazing how originally witches, being the wise, were the people that were sought out, the people that you would go to if you had a problem to being the cause of the problems. Funny how that works and funny how that really sprang up with the development of certain religions. Anyway, (laughs) I think we've talked about a religion enough, but it may come up a little bit here and there. So most cultures have a concept of a witch and witchcraft, have folklore, mythology, and actual historical instances of witches and witchcraft. I mean, there's so, there's just so many shared stories and it has to come from somewhere. It has to come from legitimate experience, right? And that is a thing that if, if I wasn't a witch myself and I couldn't say, well, I'm a witch, so that's how I know it's something that exists. I would be able to look at all of these magical texts, all of these reliefs on these ancient buildings, all of the statues and, that are present in these temples. You know, all of this writing and stories and paintings that have been passed down that tell our story and be like, yeah, obviously witches are real. There are like stacks and stacks and stacks of evidence. 
And to me, yeah, there is a distinction between folklore and mythology and like actual historical occurrence, but folklore mythology have to be inspired by something. And I think that's where we get to the true like historical context of our witchery. So how far back does that go? Well, even dating back to 40,000 and 30,000 years ago to prehistoric and paleolithic times. Don't ask me what the difference is. I have no idea. <laughs> Just know prehistoric means prehistory and paleolithic was a, you know what? I don't need to do this. I don't need to guess what it is. I know that we all kind of have an idea of what that means. Uh, there are actual cave paintings and other um, like archaeological finds that demonstrate that people during those times when these people that were like first coming together to make um, like tribes and little societies that they were performing rites and rituals and in some ways were working with or honoring or um, asking for the help of or making offerings to gods of hunt and goddesses of fertility. So this, this kind of sorcery, this kind of witchcraft, this magic, I'm telling you, it found its way to us. And it started to influence and it started to latch on to certain people who would become your shamans and become your priests and your priestesses in these communities. And it's something that started to become passed down. And again, those were the people that were being sought out for help as opposed to being accused of being the problem. And so where do we see this? I mean, we see it in ancient Egypt. We have texts. We have um, we have paintings. We have hieroglyphics that depict these things. We have obviously the whole pan pantheon of gods throughout ancient cultures. We have ancient Greece. Uh, Babylon, where you will specifically see Lilith, who we're going to talk about later. I think you already knew that when I talked about the uh, trigger warnings for this episode. Um, we see it in Samaria. I mean, just, I've seen so many, like, documentaries where they go into, you know, these ancient temples and these structures, and they're, like, have all these carvings, and they're like, oh, I wonder what this means. But I'm like, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but that looks like someone casting a circle, if you ask me, you know? That looks like someone performing magic. That looks like something that is unexplainable to us when we're trying to put it into a context that doesn't acknowledge witchcraft as a real thing. So what is the first mention of a witch? Where is the first time that a witch has come up in a written history that we, we can find and we can make reference to? So this is what I found. Again, if you have found something different or you know of something different, I will be more than happy to share that because this was incredibly interesting to me. And all the years that I've been a witch, which is 32 and a half at this point, it never occurred to me to be like, where is the original one? Like, where can I pinpoint that this, this is where we can say this is the first witch on record? You know what I mean? So anyway, it is the witch of Endor, which when I was looking at earlier, isn't the mother's name from Bewitched Endora? Did I make that up? I have to look it up later. But I think her name was Endora, which made me think, is this in reference to this? Which would be pretty cool if it was. So the Witch of Endor is from the Old Testament, which this part of it was written between 931 BC and 721 BC, which would be before Christ. So before the time of the New Testament. So just think about how long ago that is. <laughs> also that I think it's now called BC as opposed to BC. Like they changed that. It doesn't mean before Christ anymore. But I always was so confused by the fact that it counted down to zero. So when we're saying 931, that is like the further reach of it to 721, which is closer to our modern times. Always, I was like, why, why'd you do this? Why, why make it more confusing? We're already talking about a time that I can barely imagine in the first place. But yeah, it is um, the 20th chapter in the first book of Samuel, which is a part of the Old Testament. So we're talking old, 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 old. 
And it's a controversial inclusion that isn't included in certain texts and certain versions because to have it included would mean that there is a legitimacy to magic and to necromancy. We're going to get to that in a second. So the Witch of Endora, she, that's the only way that she is referred to. She is said to have a ritual pit for summoning the dead from the netherworld. And there are also figures in the Babylonian and um, Hittite magical texts that really are similar or parallel to this figure. So it's not something that we're just seeing one time. Again, it's something that we're seeing cross-culturally, which to me gives it more, gives the figure, gives her more valid validity as an actual person or persons that you would see throughout different cultures, certain magic workers, certain witches, you know what I mean? So, um, and it's also similar to, um, texts that they found in like near Eastern and Mediterranean cultures. So it's not just these one or two, three places. It is widespread. Uh, so a, it's either a ritual pit for something in the dead or a familiar spirit. It really kind of depends on the translation that aided in the raising of the dead. So that is where the necromancy has come from. We're getting deep early, right? And so essentially she was seen as an oracle, as a seer of the dead, AKA what we would call a medium. So King Saul of Israel, he has driven out all the, the necromancers and the magicians. He's like, no, they're evil. They're to be derided. They are again, othered, removed from society, something that we're going to see over and over and over and over again. Right? So then he had to seek her out because he wanted her witchy assistance in the way that only witches can. So, um, he goes to see her, he finds her in like the cover of night in disguise and she summons the dev prophet Sam Samuel, who the book is named after. And, uh, she summons him because King Saul of Israel wants to know about how he can defeat the Philistine army. I know this is total church talk right now. Just stick with me. I can like feel myself in church right now being like, Oh my God, get to the point. <laughs> Trust me. It's worth it. So, she has raised Samuel. He has prophesied, which prophets in themselves, come on, come on now. You can see the future. You can have these like divinations and you can uh, have, uh, what's it called? Premonitions and precognitions. I know it sounds a little witchy to you, but whatever. We're not going to start with that right now. But Samuel is risen and he basically is like, listen, your whole army is going to perish. You're going to perish. Your son's going to perish. Like it's not looking too good. And then the next day, the whole army was defeated. They perished. His son died in battle. And Saul then, um, it's either that he, the, the text translation is either that he committed suicide or that um, he like had assistance in being killed by like a young soldier passing by because he was like too weak to do it himself. So either way, everything that Samuel came up and prophesied came to fruition and he was able to be raised and to be communicated with through the Witch of Endor. And I was really surprised by this because I was not expecting it from the Bible any part, but the Witch of Endor is actually painted to some extent as a sympathetic character in that when Samuel came and he gave this, you know, devastating prophecy, she then was there to comfort King Saul. And also she insisted on feeding him before he left. And, you know, he was just crushed by this, knowing that he would be defeated, he would die, and his sons would die. And she, instead of them in that moment painting the witch as 
you know, being a part of this evil that's going, well, not even evil, but a part of this bad that will happen to him, a, a scapegoat that can be blamed for all the bad that will come his way or saying that she cursed him in some way. She really was painted in this caregiver role that we know witches to be in this mothering witch role that we know witches to be, that we do care and that we were sought out to take care of people, to heal people, to help people, you know, for our wisdom and and for our practice of this, this, the craft of the wise. And so I really thought that was so interesting that she was given that kind of light, given that it is the Bible. <laughs> and, you know, not always the best PR for witches, if you ask me, but let's not give it too much credit because in Exodus 22, 18, the exact quote is, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. So coming or going, no matter what, <laughs> we've always had it rough from really the formation of these religions that all of a sudden took the purity of witchcraft and the purity of magic and the purity of witches themselves and said, Oh, that's secular. That's wrong. Even though, you know, a lot of this, the traditions and a lot of the belief systems stem from it itself, all of a sudden, all of a sudden this thing that existed from antiquity, like from true antiquity and from the paleolithic era was the thing that was wrong, even though it was, it was something that was in existence before all these other things were developed. So I thought that was interesting that just that Witch of Endor that is the first mention that we can come across, that she did still have the remnants of that healer, of that wise woman, of someone that is really aiding to help, even if in the ways that she is able to help is not seen as quote unquote pure or godlike or religious or of the faithful. There was still some value given to that and that they did not make her an evil figure as well. You know what I mean? Does that kind of make sense? Um, but yeah, but then they were like, I mean, don't suffer her to live though. So it's not like it's necessarily on her side, but interesting that in all these religious texts, I mean, the Bible itself, that witches are named, actually named. So we know that we are, we've been here forever. We are actual people. We are actual energies. We are, we actually exist, you know? And so that's when, just as a side note, because we're getting into Samhain and Halloween and people are like, oh, witches aren't real. I'm dressing as a witch. Like, that's so fun in games and, you know, ha ha ha. But how could it be something that isn't a real thing? And people always try to tell us, oh, you're not a witch. You're just being silly. You just want attention. You're just being dramatic. You know, you're just, it's just trendy. It's a fad. When there are all these mentions, again, through all of these civilizations, through these Babylonian texts, these Sumerian texts, on these reliefs in Babylon, in Babylon, I always do that, Babylonia, in Babylon, in, you know, the, in the Jewish, uh, uh, Talmud, is the word Talmud? In the Old Testament, I don't want to say that wrong, and, you know, in the New Testament as well. So it's just really interesting that it's something that people will look us in the eye and say witches don't exist, but there's all of this evidence. Not only do we exist, but we have always existed. We have existed pretty much before anything else because, you know, like I believe the magic found us. So speaking of how long we've existed, I want to go back and talk about Lilith. Now that we're into it, I feel like I should have done a trigger warning about talking about religion as well. But, you know, even though like the Witch of Endor story is something I'm referencing from the Old Testament, it's not necessarily a religious story to me. It's a witch story. It's it's a proof that witches existed. And this is like the first historical context of it. And in talking about Lilith, even though, I mean, she's only mentioned in the Bible one time in passing. And it's, it's not it's not something that is very, uh, makes a huge mark when you're going through it. But, you know, she's, she's mentioned in, again, tons of different cultures, 
tons of different texts, religious texts, non-religious texts. So I don't want anyone to be like, are you secretly trying to, to like give us religious studies? I promise I'm not. It's just that, you know, religion and witchcraft is religion and witchcraft, especially in talking about where we're going to go with the witch trials and witch hunts. They have just been swirling around each other forever and they have been butting heads forever. And so it's kind of hard to have a con conversation about one without the other because they do intersect. But it doesn't mean that I'm saying like, okay, everybody get your Bibles out. We're doing Bible study. Absolutely not. This is a witch focused thing, not a religion focused thing. So Lilith, I wanted to talk about her at length because, well, to be honest, I could do an entire series on Lilith. There is so much there. But I know I just mentioned her in passing in, I don't even remember what episode, at some point when I was screaming about feminism, but I wanted to circle back to her because I truly do feel that if she is not the first witch, that she is one of the very, very first witches. And I feel like a lot of us are like daughters of Lilith and sons of Lilith. And saying all that, I wanted to give you her actual story <laughs> because it's kind of wild, but also she's just such a badass magical figure and there is so much strength that is in witches that I feel like comes from her and um she's just a figure that I've always been really drawn to from the first time I ever heard about Lilith Fair and I was like who's Lilith and then I was like wait a minute <laughs> this this is telling me some things so like a lot of people I was first introduced to her with the misconception that she is a demon and this very very evil character but she just like wasn't putting up with a man's shit. And so that's why she got derided for being an evil character and got this stereotyping that she, I don't believe that she deserves. I think that she is a witch that has been misnamed and has really received kind of the worst stereotypes that can be associated with a witch, which is like harming children and harming women instead of being a patron to women and trying to trying to destroy men through using her sexuality. Like those are all such terrible stereotypes. And that's something that again, we're going to see come up over and over again in the witch trials that got assigned to her because basically she was not here for whatever Adam was doing. And she was like, dude, I'm over it. So let's talk about her a little bit more in depth. So she first appears in the eighth century, which, okay. So we're thinking which of, Witch of Indoor is older than Lilith. And so technically, like, how could she be the first witch? But to me, and thinking that, you know, if the, if we're going with the story that Adam, that Lilith is the, the original wife of Adam, then she would be like, you know, the beginning of humanity. So there's Adam and Eve, as we're, <laughs> as we hear, but actually it was Adam and Lilith, right? So from, she is only mentioned, like I said, once, and that's in Isaiah 34, 14. And I don't believe she's even technically mentioned by name. It's more like an allusion to her. And so there's different uh, translations to her name. In Babylonian, it means something like that would translate to spirit. In Hebrew, it would translate to something like female night demon. <laughs> Not great. Uh, but there's also translations that would be something like lady air or lady of the air or moon. So that's what I'm saying. I really feel like she's so much more of a goddess energy, so much more of a witch, a, a witch goddess energy than, you know, this horrible, horrible figure that she has been painted as. So as I mentioned in that previous episode, basically her story has been boiled down to she wanted to get on top during sex with Adam and his like fragile male ego could not take that. And he only wanted her to be subservient and in the mystery position to him and underneath him always. And she was like, well, I'm not having that. So I'm leaving. But this is the tidbit that I like kind of was reintroduced today when I was reading a lot about her. And it's that she was 
two made of dust like Adam. So she really was his equal and truly believed herself to be his equal. I mean, she was his equal. They were made of the same. They were made at the same time. They were birthed at the same time. And so when he was trying to be all like, well, I'm dominant. You need to be the helper to me. You need to be subservient to me. She would fight him back on that tooth and nail. And the, the sex between them was one of the incidents that happened. One of the times where she was trying to not assert her dominance over him, but assert her equality to him. And, you know, male toxicity, it's been around since the first man and he just couldn't take it. And so in one instance, um, he tried to force himself onto her and force her to take the missionary, the lower, the beneath position. And our girl Lilith was basically like, nah, I've told you a hundred times we are equal. I'm not going to keep being beneath you literally and figuratively. So she shouts out the unspeakable, unspeakable name of Jehovah or God. And she flies away into the sky. She was like, I'm done with this. How many times do I have to, it's like with your boyfriend or your husband. How many times do I have to tell you to put the toilet seat down? How many times do I have to tell you that we are equal and we're going to swap off sometimes? Stop treating me like I am lesser than, like I am your maid, like I am your servant. I am your equal. I am your beautiful partner. I am not here to just please you and make sure that your needs and your wants are realized. I have needs and wants too. So you know what? Not only am I going to walk out of the door, but I'm actually going to fly away to the sky so you never see me again because you clearly don't know how to act. So Lilith literally was like the original Lizzo. It was like, you know, you could have had a bad bitch, non-committal, but here we are because you couldn't just release this like original male toxicity. Talk about original sin. Original male toxicity and let us be equal because we are literally made of the same. So she noped right on out of there. So let's talk about Eve for just a second. So then Adam has another partner that is created and he sees the creation is of flesh and blood and bone and muscle and tissue and all that stuff. And he's so grossed out by that, that even though he's beautiful, he like can't deal with being with her. He's like, oh, gross. Y'all, Adam's kind of the worst. Okay, so then Eve is created and she is created from his rib from when he is sleeping. And um, because he doesn't see this process, he just wakes up with this beautiful domesticated woman. He was like, perfect. I finally got what I wanted. But I do find it very interesting that Lilith is vilified for being a woman who wanted equality, who wanted her independence, who wanted her freedom, and especially her sexual freedom, and who wasn't about to obey Adam. She she wasn't going to let him be the boss of her. Um, and that even though we have Eve, who was like this domesticated version of womanhood, that, you know, who was sweet and quiet and followed Adam and was really second to him and was really subservient and really, it really served him in many ways. She is still the one who gets blamed for the downfall of man. She is still the one that was the quote unquote cause of, from the ejection of the ejection from the Garden of Eden. She is still the one who is at fault for the concept of original sin. So it's like the patriarchy and misogyny are going to get us no matter what we do. It's getting us coming or going. You can't be the perfect, polished, you know, yes, dear, um, husband first, wife second kind of woman. And you can't be the wild, free, independent, sexually liberated woman because either way you're wrong. It just like blows my mind that no matter what, it's a woman's fault. But, you know, in telling these stories and listening to them, Adam is the one who's a big old baby who didn't deserve any of these beautiful women, if you ask me. Oh, it just drives me crazy. <sighs> anyway, that just really stuck out to me that no matter what form of womanhood we're in, we're wrong. And, and we will be blamed and we will be punished and it will be our fault, even though we're the ones that are trying or we're the ones that are just trying to get our equality. 
and just trying to speak our voice and just trying to live our experience. Anyway, that was your feminist rant for this episode. I know you felt it coming. <laughs> I tried to keep it short this time. So back to our girl, Lilla. So she is like, goodbye, literally flies away to the sky. could be anywhere on the entire earth as they are the only two people populating it. So Adam's all like, wah, 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 where did she go? I was being the worst, but like, you know, I am like any guy that ever goes to you or breaks up with you. When I hear that you're doing good, I'm going to find a way to intrude into your life. So three angels are sent. And they find Lilith in the Red Sea, which at this time was a place that was really associated with like darkness and evil. And in the Red Sea, what is she doing? According to the text, not according to me, because again, I think this is part of the vilification of Lilith and the part of breaking down her reputation because of who she is as a strong, powerful woman and a seeker of equality. She is said to have been having, um, be copulating with demons and just popping out demon children. That is... Again, part of her smear campaign and not what I believe our beloved Lilith was actually doing. So there's these three angels, right? Sinoi, Sansanoi, and Samongol. Please, please stick with me because I know I didn't say those right. So they come and they demand that she returns or she'll be killed. And again, she's like, mm, no, I'm good. I'm going to stay here because I'd literally rather be in the Red Sea, like doing what I'm doing, than go to have this man think he's going to tell me what to do because I'm not with it. So <laughs> you can see why Lilith was just pissing off everybody and continues to. She's like, literally, I'm not going to be subordinate to him and I'm not going to participate in my own subjugation. And that's that on that. So the angels were like, well, you're going to be killed. You'll be drowned. Could you imagine if I was like a Sunday school teacher? <laughs> anyway, they don't tell the story in Sunday school. They don't even tell the story in the Bible. So it's cool. Um, so the angels were like, listen, if you don't come back, you're going to be drowned. And she was like, oh, really? Because Jehovah said that I have power over every child that is born. And for male children, I have power for eight days. And for female children, I have power for 20 days. So like, I mean, it sounds like I'll be fine. And they were like, oh, okay, you're right. So she basically comes to an agreement with them. And she says, you know, I will not harm any children in the eight day or 20 day time period if they are wearing uh, amulets, amulet, another witch term, another witch tool, another witch symbol. If they're wearing an amulet that has um, the inscriptions of the angels names or like of their figures. So they're like, okay, we can come to this agreement. Basically, she has backed them and painted, they have painted themselves into a corner where she has backed them into a corner where she's like, well, I mean, I have to make it over all children. So... I don't really see what you're going to do about it. You can't really do anything. So they leave. But Jehovah is still like upset with her. And he's like, you have to, or Jehovah, the, the entity of Jehovah is like, you have to go back to Adam. And again, she's like, I'm not going to do that. And I don't, I don't understand why y'all keep bothering me about this basically. And he's like, well, if you don't return to Adam, then I'm going to kill a hundred of your demon offspring babies a day. And she was like, okay, well bet. And so she, again, was not going to return to Adam. She was refusing to be subordinate to any man to obey any man. And so these, all these babies that were created in the Red Sea, Jehovah then would kill a hundred a day. So that brings us to the most brutal part of Lilith's story, which I know you're already like, well, she was having all these, you know, babies in the Red Sea. That's pretty brutal, which yes, it is. But this is, I think when I say brutal, I mean, it's brutal to her reputation because it took this figure that again, I believe to be this goddess figure, this witch figure, and it turned her into a monster and that, and they, it turned her into a monster because what she wanted was equality because she wanted to just be equal because she just didn't want to have to obey someone that was, that was supposed to be her partner. And I don't think that's too much to ask. 
Oh, also, let me say, there are, of course, various, um, various stories about Lilith and, you know, where she came from and what her background was. I am coming from just the one that I'm the most familiar with and the one that when I was revisiting today, I was like, yeah, that sounds right. I feel like that's all stuff that I read before. So I'm not saying that this is the definitive be all end all Lilith mythology, Lilith story, Lilith history. It's not. There are many, many out there. But it, it, they're all kind of, you know, similarities throughout these cultures. Again, even though they're distinct cultures and they are, some of them are far removed from, away from each other, there are still these distinct similarities that can only, that can't be explained because they're in like close contact or communication with each other, you know? So again, this is where it gets kind of brutal. This is where that trigger warning comes in. So one of the first things that was attributed to Lilith was that she was notorious for kidnapping or killing infants before the eight days for boys or the 20 days for girls was up. So the way that parents would try to combat this is that they would draw a charcoal circle um, on the wall of the nursery and they would write um, an incantation, if you will, which again is an instance of witchcraft, if you ask me, that would say, with Adam and Eve, out Lilith. And... Um, they would also have the babies wearing the amulets that she had agreed with the angels earlier that she would not, you know, mess with any of them if they were wearing that to protect them. And speaking of amulets and charms and incantations and spells and other very, very witchy things, um, the origin of lullaby is also attributed to the phrase Lilith Abai, which means Lilith be gone. And that is the phrase that would be um, written onto amulets and hung in nurseries to protect the infants as well from the kidnapping, kidnappings or any other nefarious things that were being attributed to her. And also, so aside from the, the infant and children thing, Lilith, according to the smear campaign, was uh, a notorious seducer of men. Men, especially when they were alone, were not safe from her because she would just touch them and seduce them with her sexual wiles and lead them to their own destruction. Um, and the other one that I think is just like a brutal, brutal thing to attribute to her is that she was supposed to be the cause of infertility which is crushing. And I, again, find it really, really interesting that Lilith is representing, you know, freedom and equality and independence, again, and the freedom of her own sexuality. And so not only do they, they really try to contrast her with motherhood because she is not this ideal woman. She is not this ideal mother figure. So because she is exhibiting these attributes that in a man would be, you know, noble and brave and amazing and admirable for a woman. It makes her evil and it makes her an other and it really makes her an outsider. And so, yeah, it really like contrasts her with motherhood in all ways. It's almost like they really wanted to depict her traits as anti-female and then hold up the ultimate characteristics of a woman to be childbearing. So if she causes infertility, if she wants to harm children, it's like, the most antithesis of what we think of a woman being or like society or like that conception of what we think of a woman is, is that if her ultimate, not according to me, but ultimate quote unquote job or ability is to be able to have children and to raise children and to be a mother. And for Lilith to be the antithesis of all of those things is really making all the things that she stands for seem like it has no place in womanhood, which is just, it's just wild the way that she has been constructed in that way. So that's the bad of it. <laughs> now, as she has really been rediscovered, as she has been especially like rediscovered by witch, the witch community, we do see her as a mother figure. We do see her, her as a goddess. We do see her as a witch goddess. And we do see her not as a harmer of children, a harmer of women, but we see her as a protector of women. And we see her as a protector of children, especially. It's, it's kind of 
you know, she kind of reminds me of Maleficent. But <laughs> I almost wonder if like the Maleficent character has any like what was inspired by Lilith anyway, because she is seen as this hardened, bitter, um, just evil, malevolent figure. But then you look at the fact that she was really caused pain and she was really hurt. And like Adam truly tried to force himself on her and she really was expelled. I mean, by her own, she expelled herself because it was the only choice that she had for her own happiness. And you know, the same thing with Maleficent, like she was really violated and then it turns out that she's not this scary, horrible figure that we always thought she was, but she actually really cares about children. She is more about fighting for the greater good and protecting women and protecting children than just this character we saw who was bitter and upset about not being invited to a party. So then she like effed everything up. You know what I mean? Like same thing with Lilith. It's that she was violated. She had enough. And so she had to go find something else. And she really is about the strength of women. She's about the beauty of women. And I don't mean just like necessarily the aesthetic, you know, physical beauty of women, but like the beauty of women just as creatures of anyone that identifies as a woman, just we're beautiful and we're amazing and we don't get enough credit, I feel. But yeah, there really is a correlation there that there's so much more than meets the eye and there's so much more than that top layer story that we find out about, you know, that we've been told about her. And she absolutely is a goddess figure to me. And I absolutely do believe her to be the first witch, if not, if not the first witch, then one of the very first witches. And she so protects us and she so cares about us and she so um, lends us strength and, and our, and she lets us pursue our individuality and our freedom. And so I have a special place in my heart for Lilith. I think she's absolutely amazing. And I hope that, you know, and the more that she's being discovered and, or rediscovered and embraced by the witch community, the more that we can kind of erase the not so great stories about her. <laughs> They're not great. As as I just shared, they're not great. But yeah, I have a really special place in my heart for Lilith. I always have. And even if her story is more mythological and folkloric and not necessarily like evidentiary fact of a witch history, I still think she is important to our cultural knowledge and our cultural history. So that's why I wanted to talk about her this week and expand on that story a little bit. And, you know, I wanted to mention the Witch of Endor. If that truly is the first written mention of a witch I think it's important to include and if there is any other ones out there whatever history facts you have send them to me I love history I will just I will just eat it up all day I can read about it forever I love it and then you know going back and really setting us in a place in time which is in quick cave dwellings you know <laughs> in, in prehistoric before there was language before there was written word there was witchcraft and there was magic and it found its way to us again like I believe and we created these traditions and we created these practices and look where they are now. They have come all the way down the line. And so, yeah, this was just the briefest of deep dives. <laughs> I shouldn't even call it a deep dive. It's a dip dive because we're just dipping our toes in. But yeah, that's what really stuck out to me this week to talk about. And, you know, I would like to do another episode where we go into like specific witches from throughout history. And we talk about their stories and where they ended up and what they practice and what their impact is. But just as a crash course to get us ready to start talking about the witch hunts and the witch trials, because, oh my gosh, the way that women were treated and the way that witches were treated and the way that we were just so othered and ostracized from society and punished, it's just, it really does have roots in the very first witch. You know, it really does have roots all, going all the way to all of these ancient texts where they say, 
you know, banish them, get rid of them. They got to go. Don't seek out their practice. Don't seek out any of their skills. When, again, we started from this place where our skills were valued and they were sought out and they were respected to this place of burn the witch. It was just a whirlwind. And we can already see very, very early on how it was starting to change and how the narrative of the witch and the woman, which are very, very closely combined. Again, obviously not all witches are women, but it's something that has been intertwined since the beginning. So let's do our crystal of the week. Let's lighten it up just a little bit. I always thought that was interesting. And I think talking about Lilith overall is a beautiful thing because really she, she is like this moon goddess and she is just this figure that loves us and protects us. And she, she's not what the negative PR wants to say, I think. But yeah, let's do our crystal of the week and then we will get with our homework. Okay, I just got so nervous because for a second I blanked out and was like, did we do this one already? Y'all, we're like closing in on 50 episodes and I'm going to run out of crystals at some point. What am I going to do when we get to 75 or 100? Y'all have to start sending me your favorites so I can do them because I, I at, at this point, I'm like, okay. Oh, Citrine. No, we did Amit. No. Tiger. No. <laughs> We've done so many. I know, I know there's color variations that we can get into. But for a second, I was like, oh my gosh, wait, we did this one. But I don't think we did because number one, it's not even a crystal. It's not a gemstone. I'm not quite sure how to categorize it. Maybe a mineral composite. Um, all we do know is, well, you might actually know what it is, but all I know is it is the beautiful natural creation from the inside of an oyster, the lovely, the luminous pearl. I have a very special place in my heart for pearls. Okay, so you know, I always complain about being a um, a March baby and being an aquamarine and not being like an emerald or a diamond. <laughs> so ridiculous. But my actual name, not Mickey, which is my nickname, my actual name means pearl, which you can all solve it now. And so when I was younger, I was always like, well, I mean, my name means pearl. So it's like pretty special. <laughs> so obnoxious. But yes, I've always had a very special connection to pearls. And um, my mom, you know, she would, you know, she would be like little tiny not expensive pearl bracelets when I was a kid. I always just felt very princessy and special about that. So the time has come to definitely talk about pearl, especially because we have talked about feminism. We've talked about femininity. We have talked about womanhood. We have talked about um, childbearing and motherhood and all these beautiful things and being in the mother phase of our goddess cycle and all everything. And pearl is very, very, very much associated with women and in particular pregnant women. So if we want to believe that Lilith is not out to you know, take the fertility away from women, but in fact, protect pregnant women and bring uh, new infants and new babies into this world, then a pearl is a wonderful crystal or oh, I don't know what to call it a wonderful stone, I'll just say stone to associate with her. So it is very, um, it's a it's a stone that is very much about emotions. Uh, obviously, it has a very strong connection with water because that is where it's created inside of the oyster. And it also has a very strong connection with the moon because the moon, the water, you know, they vibe like no one else. Um, they're also used for, or not also, but they are used for balancing emotions. They're also very good at sucking up, up negativity. They're kind of like a little Hoover vacuum in that way. The problem is if you let it suck up, suck up, suck up, and you don't ever cleanse it out, it's one of those ones. It's not like selenite where selenite can just like take and displace the pearl is going to hold on to it. So make sure if you are feeling any kind of negativity, any heaviness, any, um, that word I never know how to say, lethargy, lethargy, lethargy. 
if you're ever feeling lethargic with your pearl, make sure that you're cleansing it because it really is sucking up emotions and it really is so tied to, to emotions that it can cause you that heaviness as a side effect. It is great for alleviating stress to just bringing more balance to your emotional issues to, to in some ways taking on those extra emotions. And that's why it can become kind of heavy with everything because it's really trying to balance you out. It's really trying to find the most like healthy, balanced emotional space for you to be in. So if it has to take more of that emotion away, then it will. So that's why we do have to be kind of careful to cleanse. In fact, saying all this, I definitely need to cleanse mine because I never have. I've always just been like, ooh, so pretty. <laughs> that was the end of it. Um, they're also great for stabilizing you mentally, you spiritually. They're really, I, there's a lot of balance there with pearls. And it is just, I mean, all of the crystals and the stones we're talking about are obviously natural elements, right? But I feel like pearls are just so special because of the way that they're created. And you know, it is like, they're created by an irritant of sand and they become this beautiful thing. So it is this reminder that something that's irritating and annoying and obnoxious in some ways can teach us these beautiful lessons or transform into this beautiful thing for us as well. So it is a storm of transformation. I really love that. Um, it also is supposed to give you more luminous of an appearance. You know, it's one of those, um, one of those stones that beautifies you, one that gives you, it lends you its own luminous. And I think that's why it always has been associated with women's classic style and just being something that was like the perfect accessory or the perfect accoutrement to your outfit. I mean, Coco Chanel herself, which eh, problematic in ways, a bit of a Nazi sympathizer. We'll talk about that some other time. But she was the one who always wore pearls. And in fact, she was always wearing faux pearls because she was like, listen, costume jewelry is where it's at. Do not go out wearing all this expensive stuff. That's stupid. Like literally, I'm pretty sure she was like, that's stupid. Don't do that. Wear your costume jewelry. And you know, save your money for the clothes and don't wear anything out that's so expensive. If you lose it, you're never going to recover from it when faux jewelry looks just as nice and sometimes better. So at least from the 1920s and the time of Coco Chanel, they have definitely, I mean, way before then, they have been a bit of a status symbol and a symbol... Uh, kind of this physical symbol of a woman's beauty and that it really enhances and you know not just for women anyone can wear them of course and look beautiful and luminous but really is something that has in its own right become this thing of beauty this thing of status this thing of just a classic allure so I like that from the inside and out not only does it have these positive qualities that it really is good for the emotions and for your stability in all ways and aligns with your chakras and it cleanses you out and absorbs toxins, but it also just brings this outer luminous and beauty to the wearer. So I think it's a lovely stone. I may be a bit biased, who knows? But Pearl is going to be our crystal of the week this week. So your homework. I am not, during the Samhain challenge, I am not going to bombard you with any extra homework. Um, when we get to the witch trials next week or get to Salem the week after that, I'm not going to say, okay, I would like a 1,000 word paper on the Salem witch trials and which theory you believe to correct and why they were wrong. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to do that to you. Your homework for the entire month while we're doing their challenge is that I want you to make sure that you are meditating. If you have not done your box yet, I want you to make sure you're doing your box. But if you have done it, I want you to make sure that you're getting that meditation in every day, that you're resetting that intention, that you're lighting the candles that you're really focused on what you're trying to manifest. You are getting into the motion of doing it. You're getting into the habit of doing it. So meditate, 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 sit with that box, put your hands on it, say the spell again, give it a kiss if you want to, whatever you feel comfortable doing. I just want to make sure that we are putting as much positive energy and as much manifesting energy into it as possible. So 
no extra homework until it's over, but you got to do the meditation. You got to sit with the box. You got to put all your magic into it that you can, because I think it's just going to be so gorgeous once we get to the end of it. Okay. So let me know what movie you would like to start with. If y'all want to do the Bad Witch Movie Club, if you all don't totally fine, I'm just going to watch the Love Witch and then tell you about it. So just get ready. But like I said, I think it would be something really fun to do together. And, uh, goddess knows I'm going to have all the time to do it while I am in the air for that long. But yeah, if you're into it, let's pick one and let's talk about it. I think it'll be so much fun. And let's like trade some fun witchy recipes that we can enjoy while we're watching our movies and having our witch chat. Um, anything else? I think that's it for this week. We survived. We survived our first history and or mythology lesson. We're doing pretty good. So yeah, next week we're going to pick up with the witch trials and the witch hunt. And then we're going to ease on into Salem. And if nothing else, I will make it more interesting than the crucible. I promise. <laughs> I promise. In fact, I, I think I am going to reread the crucible this week if I can find the time to do so. So I can just hit it from every angle. Whew. Wow. Oh, that book. Okay. Anyways, I know it's going to write me an email and be like, um, Mickey, I love the crucible. It's actually uh, a great work of American literature. And how dare you? And you're right. I deserve that. How many books do I have published? Zero. How many does Washington Irving? Nathaniel Hawthorne. Nope. I looked it up. It's Arthur Miller. I could not have been more wrong. <laughs> how many works of art does Arthur Miller have, uh, published way more than I ever will. And also wasn't he married to Marilyn Monroe? So like I need to get myself in check because clearly he's doing better than me. In my defense, however, The Crucible is a play and I was always taught and I believe that plays should be seen and not necessarily read. Um, it's just a different experience. So maybe I just found it boring because number one, I probably found it boring because I was a 16 year old in high school and just wanted to like flirt with Steven who sat behind me instead of read it. But also because perhaps it wasn't performed and I just didn't understand the nuances of it at the time. But maybe a literal 16 years later revisiting it, I will totally be gushing about it when we get to the Salem episode. Truly crazier things have happened. So yeah, I'm going to, I think, reread The Crucible. And I think I might try to watch the movie. Maybe that'll be our first Witch Club movie. I think I'm going to try to watch it because my girl Winona Ryder's in it and I do love her very much. But if anyone does know of a good stage play version that's somewhere on YouTube, because you please send me the link. I would love to watch it performed in like the medium with, with which it is intended. And I will stop being a bratty 16-year-old and a bratty 32-year-old with 16-year-old memories. And I'm sure I will love it so much more this time. And we'll have so much to talk about, which is going to be awesome. I'm really excited about the rest of our October episodes. And of course, we are going to sprinkle some uh, Halloween style and stuff in there too and some ghosty stuff. Oh, do not forget to send me like your ghosty spooky stories if you want me to share send everything and anything to the Bad Witch podcast at gmail.com. Uh, the Bad Witch Facebook group, the answer is the craft. I will also accept the covenant and blubber and blubber. <laughs> Maybe you pick that up somewhere along these episodes, but the craft is the answer to get in. You cannot go wrong with saying that. Um, oh, patreon.com. If you would like to sign up and support the podcast, just a little bit extra each month. It is so, so, so appreciated. And also, uh, Teespring, I will have the link below if you want to get your merch. I got another order like while I was recording. Y'all blow my mind. You blow my socks off. Thank you so much. Like, I, I just love it. It's so cool. <laughs> like, Bowish Coven representing out there in the real world. Gang, gang. I cannot get enough of it. Y'all are amazing. I love taking this journey with you. I love you all so much. 
And I really hope I get to meet up with some of you, whether it be in Bali or in Sydney or in LA. I just want to hug your cute little witchy bodies and kiss your cute little witchy faces and tell you how much I appreciate you and love you and I'm proud of you in real life. Y'all are everything to me. And I am just so happy I get to do this every week. And I'm so happy that you're here and you keep coming back and telling your friends. And, you know, I think all together there's nothing we can't do. And I'm really proud of all of us. And you know what? I think we all deserve good. I'm pretty sure. I think at this point we all deserve good. Bad witches though we may be. <laughs> and we are some bad witches. But who says that a bad witch doesn't deserve good in this world and in this universe? I think we absolutely do. So I love you all. Until next week. Blessed be and goodbye.